Welcome, everybody. So happy to have you back. It is Monday, October 9th, and uh, here we are for session two of Book Club for The Godfather by Mario Puzo. And with me tonight, uh, return co-host of this serial, love hanging out with this guy, Jay Dyer. What's going on, Jay? What's up, Frank? Oh, nothing much. Nothing Very much. Very glad to be back with you, yeah. Very glad to have you. Um, now, I- I'm just going to, this might be a little bit of a lighter load than most times that we that we do a show because um this right here from pages 88 to the beginning uh, i think we're we're now facing book three in the face uh these series of chapters they are all really interestingly focused on johnny fontaine that's where we are right now and there's plenty to be said about what's in here i love the in-depth look in the character you don't get anything like this in the movies uh, the motivating factors for what, 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 ha- where he came from, what he became now, and of course, that that vampiric nature and culture of Hollywood continues to keep creeping back in, and um, it's just so dehumanizing and debasing, and it, it's really interesting to see the struggle that is Johnny Fontaine as he's carrying on while uh, for a good portion of these these chapters he doesn't even know that the don has been shot so um we can go through some details but what are some things that hit you along the way before we jump into the the work inner workings here so well we ended what at uh like page 90 something i thought or what my copy is different your copy is different yeah so um where did we we left off i thought with it was chapter five to Chapter five, yeah, okay. yeah to okay, write to book right. three. And then uh, the last chunk is the whole Johnny Fontaine section, right? Actually, Johnny Fontaine, well, yeah, 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 I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I forgot. That no, that's part. okay. I'm just trying to make sure. So, like, the first, say, 50 pages is um, them planning the hit. Right. Michael going to visit the Don in the hospital, right? Is I, that right? I, and then, I completely forgot. And yeah, then the planning of the hit, and then uh, Michael executing the hit. Yes, book two was all Johnny yeah. Fontaine. Yeah. Okay. I guess that's because I read uh, book two between yesterday and early this morning, so it's still fresh in my mind. And uh, but yes, yeah. book two is all Johnny's sexcapades and <laughs> the new girlfriend that he doesn't like, the chick that disses him. The who, by the way, a little interesting little tidbit. I always get curious if I can track down you know, who somebody might be uh, in the novel, which obviously is a lot of speculation. We were pretty sure, we were pretty certain, as we said last week, that Frank Sinatra is is Johnny Fontaine. Mm-hmm. And looking up the different girlfriends, um, the one that seems to match up to the Monroe girl here, I think, I think Monroe or Moore, was it? Moore or Monroe, I forget. It seems very similar to uh, Mia Farrow because the i don't know if you've ever looked at ronan farrow but there's even like mainstream news articles talking about how ronan farrow is frank sinatra's son oh i never i never saw that that's interesting though and if you look at it he looks just like him and also um, also uh i thought i had all that crap pulled up oh here it is right here yeah i'll I'll put put it in the in the link for you guys here um 
Let me see here. Uh, Ronan Farrow. Mia Farrow admits that Frank Sinatra could be, this is mainstream news, the father of Ronan. And I mean, when you oh, look at it, man. Like, you're totally right. Yeah. Oh, this, this side right here is, uh, hold on, let me put it up on screen. Right over here above me, let me put you on the screen too. Right above me, that, that side right there, that is really something else. This one yeah. right here. Yeah. That's him. Wow. I didn't even know this. And they said that uh, he sleeps with every every time you see him with a girl or with a lead in a movie, the girl, the female lead that he slept with her. So anyway, I just thought that that might be who his new girlfriend is because this is the girlfriend after or, or towards the end. And I think Mia Farrow was pretty late in his string of girlfriends did, anyway did, it's did, just a interesting speculation but. you just uh i, I mean i'm i'm sh i'm shook right now that, that, that that's incredible he's he's got the eyes the blue eyes it's all really in the eyes and then there's the smile as well it's really incredible i think that between him i mean i already know that uh, justin trudeau is castro's son <laughs> but this is this is real now too for me i i can't see it any other way <laughs> wow did, did you see that they were saying Canada officially said no, Castro is not his dad. Okay, <laughs> and then everybody and then everybody was saying that well, when the government comes out and denies it, you know it's true. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right. uh, for somebody in the chat room said, "What is a pezzo novante?" That's pretty much just like a uh, a big wig, a big shot, and um, so you, anybody could be the you know if they're at the the top of the heap of any one thing or another, you're just a big shot. You're and you're the uh, the top. Th okay, so let's just start with this because I jumped yeah. way ahead. We had we had the scenes. These are some of the best scenes in the movie too. Yeah, I yeah. I love For this sure. when they when all the brothers are meeting, especially at, at that one scene at the house in Long Island when they're all meeting around. They're eating Chinese food and they're wondering, you know, you know, uh, well, what do we do? What do we do? You know, Salazzo might not be in the car, even me in the car, Sonny. It's so tense and it comes through in here too. I really enjoy how the um, the screenplay that Puzo did with uh, with with uh, Coppola was really, it, it's it's almost to a T. Um, this is a wonderfully adapted book. Luca Brazzi, um, that that was great to see. That we started seeing the the kind of backtracking of what happened to him. It, Salazzo is a, a is really a, a devious character in this, and I love the build up to the hit and uh, Michael really coming into his own. He's struggling with being considered a civilian. He doesn't want to be in there. Um, and, you know, there is a, uh, there's a lot on that. So where do you got onto that point? Yeah, I mean, the development of Michael is fascinating. We, my wife and I rewatched the movie, not because I didn't do the reading. We, we did the reading too, but um, I wanted to go back and see how well you know the casting and, and the adaptation was because i've always been a fan of the godfather but i haven't watched it probably in four or five years mm. um so going back and watching it a couple nights ago with my wife we were kind of blown away because she had been she had been uh doing a lot of the book with me too and she's really digging it <laughs> and uh i didn't realize like there actually there is some interesting symbolism that I never caught before one thing in the just in the movie real quick is that if you notice uh you know early on the dawn has that you know puffy sunflower seed full of his cheeks cheeks that he's got 
presumably because there was some kind of you know incident right he had he had been hurt at some point in the past we probably think maybe he got into a brawl somebody hit him and you know knocked him over the head or whatever so he's, he's got this right he's got a uh and then michael after he gets beat up by mccloskey and the cops he starts to take on the look of don corleone and there's even sequences where i thought it was brilliant the way they shot it when after the dawn is hit and they're all like you said sitting around freaking out planning and michael is sitting there like this with his legs crossed and he's like playing with the 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 cigarette lighter Mm -hmm. and you can tell that he's the calm cool collected one that's already planning out he's already the dawn basically when he goes to the hospital and he's there with Enzo, who he redeems the, the favor. So remember, the Don got Enzo to remain as a legal citizen. Don Corleone, I will forever be indebted to your family. Right? We keep hearing this over and over and over. Michael redeems that favor right there. So he's acting as Don, right? Mm-hmm. It wouldn't be in Michael's position to do that, as he calls himself in the novel, the sissy. He's like, I'm the sissy Corleone. Uh, they won't expect me. That's why he realizes that he's perfect to be the hitman when he devises that plan sitting in the chair there uh, and, and tells everybody else what to do, basically. Yes. It's just amazing to see the transformation of Michael, who, as we saw, you know, wore his American uh, soldier outfit to the wedding, who uh, wanted nothing to do with the family, now that this tragedy is struck, he feels like there's this weight that it can't be Sonny. It's not going to be Fredo. I'm the only one. I'm the only logical choice here. Yep. Um, so I just saw the character development. And there's actually, as the movie progresses, I never noticed this before. Uh, Michael's face gets darker and darker. You start to see sequences, for example, where he's half the the shadows cover half of his face because he's getting darker and darker interesting as the movie progresses and i'd never noticed that i think it's pointing out that you know he's turning darker and darker morally spiritually speaking anyway especially especially on the way to louis especially on the way to the restaurant and then it hit me too uh there's a phrase in the book where he says because so-and-so didn't go to west point and that stuck out to me because uh assuming that michael i think we're supposed to assume michael did go to west point right and i mean the don would have arranged nothing less than his son to go to the premier military academy right so certainly he went to west point um that speaks to his strategizing so everyone seems to have overlooked that michael's wartime and being a hero and going to west point might have actually prepared him all along to be the Don. Hmm. Because the Don is a position of uh, almost a sort of mini Brzezinski, right? Brzezinski wrote Grand Chessboard. You're, you're having to kind of manage and stage manage big geopolitical situations. And there's even a section in the novel where they compare their role as Dons to the State Department. Hey, you remember be- that line where he says, if we fa- the five families had been running the country and not the State Department, we would not have had World War II. In 1939. He said if we were in control in 1939, the war, the war would have never happened. 
And I and I that's actually I know in in the pages here and somewhere that I definitely underlined that I said this is this is yeah, big exactly because aside from, aside from those those little uh, those little hits right there about geopolitics and how they run themselves as opposed to how yeah. the world was being run uh, it, it constantly comes back around to that that changing of the guard and um, and of course the references to God uh, uh, Corleone uh, the Don is a ever more so godlike figure in this and uh, it's getting there uh, i mean i love this uh, first of all i love how the i can feel the spookiness of the hospital uh coming through in the book those are some of the best scenes in movie history in that hospital it's it's just so dark there's nobody in it it always makes you uneasy there michael putting together the suspense that is created in this, of course, it's just it's part of Puzo's greatest um, uh, attributes as a as a writer to create suspense as a Pulp Fiction writer. Um, he, it's really just something else to be to watch him build this up. Where now you have Michael trying to put together where the hell the cops go, how much because it's not just about. Tessio and Clemenza's men being gone and the detectives being gone. It's about figuring out just how deep Salazzo's pockets are because how was he able to buy off the police force you know this is the most powerful man in New York Don Corleone who is now all alone waiting to just be finished off you know I loved his just watching Michael's or reading Michael's mind churning to try to figure out what the hell's happening is just something else the more I thought about it, the more I started understanding and thinking about elements exactly like you're saying there that I never thought about before, because the novel is so in-depth in terms of the human psychology and the motivations of the different characters. I mean, you get a lot of that in the movie, but you don't get as much, obviously, as what's in the book. And um, the more I thought about it, the more it made sense, all of that. I mean, everything that Michael's doing, he's showing that he's a master chess player because Michael realized, and again, I didn't realize it until this, this go through, he realized that the conspiracy has to be bigger than they originally thought. They, they originally are thinking, oh, you know, we've got a hitman, uh, a rogue hitman. We've got somebody who's close to us that's, that's a traitor. Then they're starting to realize, no, it might actually be uh, uh, the Tatalia family. I think Michael's beginning to think, if there's actually a conspiracy of the five families potentially against us we're gonna have to strike back in such a way that they won't believe it mm -hmm. so it'll have to be shocking it'll have to be something that nobody would expect like getting rid of their their key power element of the cops right so they had they were running the cops basically through mccloskey michael understands that they're going to have they have to do this they have to get rid of mccloskey because this will give the tatalias and potentially the other five families too much power because they're beginning to understand that the other families are not happy with their rejection of being part of heroin so michael had to do this like mega move basically and and, and sonny laughs at it at first uh, he laughs right. at it. How the right. hell you, you you just can't do this? And then he then of course Michael, who has obviously been thinking about it, turns to Tom and says, "We've got media people on the payroll, right?" Well, but I, you, yeah, but you see, the the ballsy thing is that it's not even just that he's shocked by everybody by killing the the chief of police and uh, you know the other mobster, but it brings 
the rackets to a halt for like two or three years. Mm-hmm. This is the exact thing. I don't know if you've read Dune, but it's a very sophisticated novel too. In Dune, when uh, Muad'Dib, who is the the um, Paul Atreides, the protagonist character, when he goes against the the Baron and Baron Harkonnen and the racket that he and the Emperor have in place to control the spice. He basically goes to war against them to shut down all of the spice trade. So it's a power move beyond just having two people killed to say, not only will I put an end to the cop and the mobster, I will put an end to all the rackets and I'll damage all of the families mm. to show where how ballsy I am. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, so it's a wild move that he makes. <laughs> and like you said, Sonny's like, no, we can't do that. I know. And, and then it's just, it, it's just such a, it, it leads to so many great scenes, uh, especially the scene got, get preparing, preparing. You have the, the dinner scene. They're waiting to see which, which, uh, uh, where the, the point of contact is going to be for Michael. Uh, I love the suspense of going over the GW bridge and thinking that, oh man, they're taking me to Jersey and then turning back around to the Bronx um here's another one though yeah and that was interesting because i wondered were they wanting to see how michael would react to that like watch michael and see how he reacts if we change the route because if he reacts in a certain way we'll know that he has something planned yeah or we're being tailed so uh but they could have just been doing it you know to make sure they weren't being tailed by either feds or or the Corleone family. Uh, one, but once they are at there, I, I like when um, when Salotto tells McCluskey, I'm going to be talking to Michael in Italian. Here's a little bit more from that right before he gets popped. Salotto began speaking to Michael in rapid Sicilian. He said, you must understand that what have happened between me and your father was strictly business matter. I have great respect for the Don and would beg for the opportunity to enter a service. This is page 140 for me. But you must understand that your father is an old-fashioned man. He stands in the way of progress. The business I'm in is the coming thing, the wave of the future. There are untold millions of dollars for everyone to make, but your father stands in the way because of certain unrealistic scruples. By doing this, he imposes his will on men like myself. Yes, I know. He says to me, go ahead, it's your business, but we know that is unrealistic. Again, for me, this is another one of those um, ways that you can see it as a rebellion against God. Uh, I, I, I see that cause he is the, 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 um, the patriarch, the godlike figure of this, he's the, the peasant of Ante. he's a, the, the head of all, and there's all of this pushback against it. And it, it's, cre- it just creates an interesting dichotomy. The popping, the actual, the, the assassination is so amazingly written especially about how Michael gets that cold chill that comes up. It's an excitement. Um, you can definitely tell that he's nervous. He's ready to go. He's ready to go. But, you know, he's a, uh, he's a war hero. He's been in combat before. Exactly. He said, I've been in combat with men worse than these people. And it, it's weird because it's almost like nobody else, I mean, we know the Don isn't in the picture, so he's not really thinking about it. He, he, they can't access him. It's sort of like, uh, king kill ritual, the death of the king. So now the steward or the replacement of the son is taking over. Um, but it's like, did nobody even think about the fact that Michael had been in hand to hand combat? I mean, <laughs> you know, it's like maybe we could, maybe we have a resource here, but they all just kind of pay attention. They don't pay attention because he's the sissy. 
Well, right. Sonny dismisses says, it. Well, they call me the sissy Corleone, Kay. Don't worry about it, right? So um, they're overlooking this, uh, uh, you know, treasure trove of strategy here is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and, and, and Sonny dismisses it by saying, you know, this isn't like in the Army where you shoot somebody from a mile away. you got to get right up on them and bada-bing all over your new uh, Ivy League suit. You know, and it's... Um, it's uh, I think that is where you start seeing Sonny rolling back and and realizing no 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 there's 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 more here there's yeah. more here and there's there's a couple of points of concession there too between Michael and Sonny that you can you can see him softening and and just kind of letting him into the tent a little bit more. Um, One thing I would say too is that Michael also adequately sized up uh, the cop right. So when McClus- McCluskey beat him up. Uh, you know, Michael was just kind of like playing it cool. And I mean, he, he, he knew he was going to get beat up, but he didn't come off overly, you know, arrogant or whatever. He kept the appearance of being this meek, unassuming figure. Yeah. Um, and he sized up McCloskey as somebody way overconfident. And when Kutso does, does the, the chapter, the section describing the psyche of McCloskey, McCloskey, uh, was corrupt as he reasons within himself to make sure that his kids could get into the best schools he talks about fordham university which is interesting because fordham actually is a very corrupt cia university in the bronx Mm -hmm. in in fact fordham is a key thing that's involved in trying to turn a lot of churches skittles fordham is involved in uh, a lot of foreign soft power in a religious way to push things in other countries like in the ukraine fordham played so just funny to me that he talks about all of the the friends that he's with his corrupt friends they all went to fordham and he wants his kid kids to go to this jesuit school fordham um which i didn't expect to be in the novel <laughs> it's yeah. like, what's fordham doing in here anyway so michael michael assessed him as overconfident right he's he's like you know thinking in himself nobody would ever shoot the chief of police that's in league with the Tatalias, right and definitely not Michael after being so and not definitely not this kid I just beat up right right that's so I mean and, and he explains that a little bit there too at least that uh, we get that it might be some inner monologue I forget but it's just wow you talk about the forward thinking you talk about you know laying the traps because underneath that was an icy coldness ready to go um, now they tell him they tell Michael listen you may have to go you have to may have to be out of town for three years especially the Don's going to make it through but he's going to need some time to recover and then only he is going to be able to smooth this over and get you back um so I'm sure that we're going to have some Italian uh Italian countryside um scenes coming up in book three and beyond or no I'm sorry in book uh yeah book three and behind beyond but what we're doing right now is we get into Johnny Fontaine. That is all of book two and a little bit before. And I love it because you get so much of this character that you don't in the movie. He pops up in Vegas. He wants to sign, uh, you know, he signs a recurring uh, deal in, in some of the uh, the, the hotels that they, they um, try to commandeer and take away from Mo Green. That will get down the line. But, um, but I love how what Hagen is pretty much expressing is all of his thoughts in the beginning when he went out to go meet with Jack Waltz and how about this man is able to achieve so much in this movie industry. If this is really how it is, the Don's got to get into movies. And suddenly we see here that Don is hedging 
his bets, and he's building a foothold in movies through Johnny Fontaine by wanting to bankroll him, not only to, to try to set up him up for an Academy Award, because that'll raise his stock, but to also bankroll him in producing his own films and therefore having some interest in the movie business. So we see that Well, starting. he would be the Don's man in Hollywood, exactly. Right. So we, we see that foothold starting right now. And it's amazing that it's almost like Johnny Fontaine never thought of this either, right? It's like he's he's kind of like Sonny in certain ways because, you know, Sonny is brash and, you know, uh, bold, but he's dominated by his passions. And it's the same with Johnny Fontaine that he's so blinded by his passions that he can't figure out that, look, when the Don helped you out to get this role and when he's going to help you get the Oscar, it's not just because he's being nice. He wants a favor from you. And there may come a day when I have to redeem that favor, but it may also never come. No, the Don wants you there as his foothold in, in Hollywood. It's so obvious. And it's just amazing to me when Tom's explaining it to him, it's like he doesn't get it. Like, you know, yeah, it's kind of like the way that the the Waltz uh, character didn't really get it when, you know, Tom's dropping hints. Oh, I, I work for a single client, a uh, very powerful man, right? And he's having the same conversation with uh, Johnny Fontaine. He's like, you do you not understand how powerful your, your godfather is? He's going to hook you up. And he's like, huh, he can't get me the the oscar he can't do that right it's like no he can he's got unions and he's got uh you know key people in different positions so again that's almost like this god like you said this godlike figure pulling the strings in the background and um johnny fontaine is, is he's just an interesting funny character who's like he's an absurd character in a way because he's very famous very successful in, in a lot of ways and still can't figure out that, you know, he's connected to the mafia and this and his godfather is pulling the strings. If you remember, he, he's like, I don't even know how he got me the role in the movie. <laughs> I know. Like, I don't know how he pulled that off. I know. And, and then and then for him to think that, well, there's no way that I'm going to get the Academy Award. Waltz is putting out right. all this stuff against me. He's trying to sabotage me without destroying the film that he, he bankrolled because he doesn't want to have a total loss. But even that, uh, it's not enough. Uh, that's not going to be enough to overcome because after the Don was shot, he's still able to take care of this guy that was trying to give him union problems. He ended up dead shot to death and he realized how just how far reaching this was that he he kind of knew that this was in the don's power but he na never actually saw it play out until that one union rep ended up dead and you know i i saw this um what did you think about the nino character obviously that that's another guy that owed a lot to the don and um, he's a little bit more of a drinker but he's out there a, a real true friend to to um to Johnny while he's out in in um, in Hollywood, and he's starting to see, he's starting to he had a couple of recording sessions and all that stuff, and he's starting to starting to see just how transactional everything is. He has some interact some sexual interactions with uh, one of the the starlets he always enjoyed, who was just there to be used. I mean, it's like it wasn't even wasn't even a a challenge, like just someone he he used to admire. He got to you know have have a fling with. And then, you know, 
I'll ask you, uh, what's your opinions on the whole Nino Johnny thing? Because that is pretty much the whole book two. And then I want to talk just about the last couple of paragraphs of book two because it accelerates big time at the end after the uh, after the Academy Award was won. Yes. Uh, let me see here. Actually, I'm a little unclear on what I got a little confused with the Nino section. Ne- um, was he there also as an influence from the dawn? I don't remember. Yeah, Nino Nino's the guy from back home that they used to sing yeah. together. He used to sing together, but and he always and oh, and, from the band, from right? The big band. And yeah, now yeah, he okay. was brought, and now they've kind of been reunited, and obviously the, the, the Don wants him to have a shot at being creative, at being the artist. But while he's out there, he's actually becoming a little bit of uh, Johnny's drinking buddy and companion, yeah, yeah. and sometimes he's the straight guy uh, and, you know, just kind of sober on his behalf. But here we have a here we have a situation where at the end, at the end of uh, book two, it's a, for me, it's around page one, 179, 180. He had just went and won the Academy Award, and literally, the entire uh, the entire Academy Award experience turned into a giant orgy. Uh, meanwhile, the woman who had won the Academy Award for Best Actress was was suffering the same. Fa- okay, here you go. So here, listen to this. Uh, what followed was an absolute nightmare. Jack Waltz's picture had swept all the major awards, and so the studio's party was swamped with newspaper people and all the on-the-make hustlers, male and female. Nino kept his promise to remain sober, and he tried to watch over Johnny, but the women of the party kept pulling Johnny Fontaine into bedrooms for a little chat, and Johnny kept getting drunker and oh, drunker. I remember now. Yes. You're right. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. No, it's all right. And it's just the last paragraph and a half here is like the acceleration is incredible. But I love the way it ends. Meanwhile. So Nino's there to uh, be like what they call the fixer, right? So he's like the fixer that makes sure that the stars and the starlets don't uh, get too messed up on drugs. Well, I think that he was do- acting in that capacity just as a friend for this situation because he didn't know, he, you know, at this point he was really like Johnny's closest confidant, someone he can really trust. Most of this, uh, most of these chapters were about Johnny really rekindling a, a very um, polite yeah, relationship. Yeah, almost going back to his wife, basically. Yeah, yeah. almost, but they, they, don't, they don't want to yeah. for some reason. Anyway, uh, Nino is a He's sing. He's recording with Johnny. I don't know if this is supposed to be like a Dean Martin character, or uh, I, I don't know. There's something about him with his kind of suave, uh, you know, witty uh, demeanor in this makes me feel like it's a Frank and Dino kind of thing. I don't know for okay, sure. That, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, and also, um, the movie that Sinatra was in, the War Picture that's being discussed. He did win the it won the Oscar, so it did revive his career because we were talking about that last week, and I read more on it. Um, we we forgot we were gonna watch it. I forgot to. Um, anyway, the name of it skips my mind. But um, yes, other people were speculating that that could be. I remember now from last week I was reading as to who might be who. There's a speculation on a there's an academic site that has speculation that. Nino is Dean Martin, and that's a lot of the names are kind of similar at times. Nino, Dean, right? I bet the, I think that's probably right. And there was this 
was it you or somebody was saying that Nino or Dean Martin was actually not a super heavy drinker? Was uh, you saying that he wasn't, and and that's that's what I've read from even even um, uh, memoirs from his his children. That yeah, okay. I mean you know you're talking about people that partied a lot. I mean they're very social. Everybody every time they went on a uh, yeah, yeah. you know everybody's always throwing cigarettes down and whatever the hell it is. They were they were very social about it. But as far as uh, being this kind of slurring drunk on television thing, a lot of that was an act. So yes. I, I, it, it kind of matches his demeanor here. But but the, here's the end of things. I, I don't know. This might just be a poetic license here. But meanwhile, the woman who had won the award for Best Actress was suffering the same fate but loving it more and handling it better. Nino turned her down, the only man at the party to do so. Finally, someone had a great idea. The public mating of two winners everybody else at the party to be spectators in the stands. The actress was stripped down, and the other woman started to undress Johnny Fontaine. It was then that Nino, the only sober person there, grabbed the half-clothed Johnny, slung him over his shoulder, and fought his way out of the house into the car. He drove Johnny As he drove Johnny home, Nino thought that if this was success, he didn't want it. So, <laughs> I don't know. That's why, you know, that right there, could that really be Dean? I don't know. It could just be Mario uh, developing a character in his own little way that has some inspiration from elsewhere, but I I really got to liking Nino over these last couple of um, these uh, chapters, and I think he's a, a good a good balance for Johnny. So that yeah, was, he is kind of the the conscience, I guess. Right, he's trying to in a way hold back, and and we saw that when Johnny Fontaine was was with jenny you know that that whole exchange was really you know we think oh he's kind of coming to his senses uh you know he's getting tired of the women he had just previously had one of the girls turn him down which he said for the first time he didn't mind it <laughs> and he was relieved for the first time um and then we ha he has this uh, you know touching interaction with the, his his ex-wife who's still sweet to him and the girls his daughters come out that he really cares for and we we think oh he's gonna get back with her but they don't really he's just kind of like no nah. and she when he says can i come back to bed with you and she's like no you can't you can sleep here but you can't come back to bed we we get the impression that okay he's not he's not healed from his vices yeah and then you know the award happens and then like you said it goes full eyes wide shut <laughs> right it's nuts. It's crazy because that, you know, and you said this too. And the last time we were talking, Puzo is obviously talking from a standpoint, observational standpoint of you know what this is like for young children, uh, being you know essentially pimped out by their parents. What this is like among consenting adults inside of this uh, this country club environment, mm -hmm. and it's it's crazy because there is a. Again, here is someone like uh, the Don, who probably wants to continue to grow his business and his influence and all that, but very straight-laced. And, and this is an environment, a culture, that he would not approve of at all. And, and it makes Well, you... but see, that's, isn't that interesting? Because the Don wants you in the very world that he tells you to... Remember, because he was, like, you know, telling him to stop drinking, get the womanizing under control, right? Because he wants him to be his man <clears throat> in Hollywood. <clears throat> but if he's out of control he can't function in that capacity but the don constantly wants you in a position where you're surrounded by all the things that you know what i mean that you're not supposed to partake of yeah so 
uh, I was trying to find the movie that because I wanted to see who the lead actress was because this is implying that that war movie that won all the awards that uh, you know that's what that there was there was a big orgy afterwards right oh well I, I didn't know about that about what the, the, oh, the, oh, you're, oh in the book you're talking about or are you talking about the actual uh, the movie after in real life outside the real life movie that that Frank Sinatra got his career revived from and that won the awards and there was a well publicized orgy that happened afterwards I'm just saying like that's the funny thing is I'm trying to look up to see what the movie was because I want to know who the actress was yeah <laughs> that was the, well, the, the what the hell is the it? co uh, lead the lead actress well then we have to be able to find this hold on a second uh, Frank Sinatra war it's the one it's the movie I mentioned last week but the name of it escapes me um, none but the brave no no, 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 no. Frank Sinatra war film. Not Manchurian Candidate. Not. What the hell is it? What war movie did Frank? Th- uh, Von Ryan's Express. No. World War Two Adventure with Frank Sinatra, Trevor Howard. Okay, well that's not. Never. I think to... it has Burt Lancaster in it. It's, okay. Because he's not the lead. He's the he's the co the supporting actor. Okay, Burt Lancaster, Frank Sinatra movie from here to eternity. That's it. Okay, let's see who the female lead is. Uh, Deborah Kerr. Deborah Kerr. Let me look at this. Deborah Kerr. Was it you, Deborah? Was it? <laughs> was it you? I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised. Why the hell? Oh, Donna Reed was in there. Mm-hmm, if Donna mm-hmm. Reed was in there, she definitely got down. Uh, she was very, very. Uh, she was very well known as uh, as as being DTF. And so uh, I wonder who. Uh, let's see what awards were won. If it wasn't Deborah Kerr, Donna Reed probably. Oh, they won eight. Listen to this. Okay, so okay, so it won eight Academy Awards, thirteen nominations: Best Picture, Best Director, Best Screenplay, <laughs> Best Supporting Actor Frank Sinatra, and Best Supporting Actress Donna Reed. So she was, I'm sure, ready to party that. Night. Oh, so it was Donna Reed. Okay. Well, then the, the reputation runs out if she was the one. But that's crazy because it's what that's a, that's a sweep right there. That's an award sweep. So yeah, I wonder if the uh, or if organized crime arranged that award sweep in real life. I don't know. I'm just curious. Wow, Donna. Well, there you go. Okay. Well, I, I you know there's something. Now I have. I'm going to go to the uh, the thread now. We have two entries but one of them is is pretty substantial that's njsf so let's just do that and we're we're making good time here um njsf says i found delicious some callbacks to what now would be unthinkable excesses but in the context of the time and the culture perfectly normal one such example is clemenza's breakfast before dealing with gato i um i myself myself witnessed the tail end of this as a child by uh by the not uncommon sight of an evening cruder even cruder version of just espresso, espresso, and a hot shot of grappa. So he's talking about the uh, breakfast glass of grappa, a uh, thick slice of Genoa salami with a chunk of fresh Italian bread that was still delivered to his door as in the old days. I know. Yeah, that sounded, I, I love that, that whole, uh, that scene too. Another example which these days could have uh, had this book banned by the equity police was the inner dialogue of Clemenza when deciding who would replace Gatto. Yet in the following sentence, one can see some business acumen. Quote, This man got along too well with the black people, which hinted at some flaw of character. Also, he would be too hard to replace in the position he now held. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, though these chapters, we can also see the journey of Michael and his role as a prodigal son returning, uh, filled with misgivings, but ultimately as a very conscious choice. In the end, blood spoke stronger than even love. The first, first the resistance, here's a quote, he felt that he was being enmeshed in the family business against his will, and he resented Sonny using him even to answer the phone. He felt uncomfortable being on the inside of the family councils, as if he could absolutely tr- uh, he could be absolutely trusted with such secrets as murder. And then surprise at feeling underestimated and underused. Here's the quote. He was surprised to find himself so secretive with Kay. He loved her, he trusted her, but he would never tell her anything about his la- his father or the family. She was an outsider. And that 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 sentence right there, she was an outsider. It's very very strong because and then you start feeling for Kay because if he's going to string her along, you know, if he's going to stay with her, that at that point right there with that little admission to the reader she is never going to have a complete life. She's never going to, exactly. you know, yeah, been condemned right there. It's also interesting because she, uh, it's a secret society, mm-hmm. right? Remember the mafia is a secret society, quasi-Masonic rituals, not totally Masonic, but kind of borrowed from some uh, Masonic stuff, borrowed from uh, some Catholic stuff with the burning of the saints picture and all that. Um, and the Omerta, right? This is a blood oath. And because Kay, as she says in the dialogue in the novel, well, I'm just some girl from a Yankee family. My parents don't read the newspapers. She's like, so why would they care if, if uh, you know, why do you care if my name ends up in the paper if I'm there to tend to your, to your injured dad? And Michael's like, you can't go there because, uh, you know, the papers figure out who you are you know you're, you're done with yeah and so she's beginning to figure out like so he doesn't want public exposure for his family so she's starting to figure out that it's not this uh benevolent enterprise that she kind of thought oh remember early on she's like oh your dad's such a really nice guy <laughs> he's not just a nice guy right he's he's one of the most powerful men around uh with I guess we could say good and bad traits. He's not all bad. Uh, You can't have a a character be all bad. Um, But yeah, I think uh, there was a a great scene in the movie too, where, and I forgot what the last scene was in the first part, but it's really clear that that's what's going on at the end of the movie, the first movie, because when Michael's in there now kind of as the de facto, you know, Don, he's telling people what to do. Kay tries to walk into that room and he says, you're going to have to wait out here. And they shut her out. And she is shut, like the camera pans back and she's shut out. She's shut out of Michael's life because he's chosen, like like your your commenter said, blood over love. That was, that was really well said. Yeah, she was an outsider. That uh, She asks about whether or not it was true that uh, he killed, he had uh well, you know, whatever, that he did something, and um, no, no, he lies, lies with a very coldly lies, and yeah. then boom, she just the door closes. I think it was, um, I think it was uh, Sal. Uh, I think it was is it Sal Neary? What's his last name? Neary. Anyway, well, I'll get to him. Uh, Rocco, Rocco Neary. Anyway, he's the one that closes the door on Kay. You can just see she's shut out. And yeah. man, man, I, we'll I, we'll see how far we go into this. Um, 
here's another one. The, the, the obligation, the obligation that NJSF says, Michael laughed, quote, we can talk ourselves into any viewpoint, he said, but we figured it right the first time. I've been riding the gravy train all my life. It's about time I paid my dues. Uh, they called it business, okay, but it's personal as hell. You know where I learned that from? The Don, my old man. He took my going to the the, uh, the Marines personal. That's what makes him great, the great Don. Accidents don't happen to people who take accidents as a personal insult. I came late, so I came late, okay, but I'm coming all day. Damn right, I take so also trying to kill my father personal. And, you know, that's the other thing. It's, it's, uh, it's great that that is expressed in the book, too, because... It's so ridiculous to think that any human being can be as robotic in looking at life and death situations, even if it's not life and death, to feel like anything you created, anything that you spent time creating that is uh, especially your contributes to your bottom line, your legacy, that is somehow besmirched, it, it, you, you, can't, you cannot separate personal feelings from business. It, this is all we are. We're human beings, and, that's, uh, and that is just part of the... Having to, you know, find that balance that we're out in that world. How are you going to do it? Now, the stoicism. Yeah, no, notice the reaction, uh, uh, like in the film, right? When when something happens, it's in the book too. But, you know, the reaction of Don Corleone is totally different than the reaction of Sonny. And then uh, Sonny then tries to correct Michael. And he's like, none of this is personal. And so it's sort of like Sonny swinging to the opposite of ex- extreme. And Michael's like, no, it is personal, but you also have to have a level headedness to this. You can't, you can't go either way. Like you can't, if you don't understand that it's personal, you won't have the motivation and the drive that, that it takes to defend the family, to believe in the family, to protect it, to go to war if you have to. So it has to be personal enough that you feel strongly enough that you'll go to war because Michael knows he's starting the war, right? But it also can't be so emotional that you just act out of pure irrationality and emotional reactionism, right? That's what Sonny does. So Michael is, again, emerging as this balanced figure between these poles. And and to your point, the the next excerpt here is an example of his finally accepting uh, the commitment that has to be made. Michael says, My, uh, well, Michael Corleone frowned. He said quietly, as the consigliere, you agree that it's dangerous to the Don or our family to let Salazzo live? And Hagen says, yes. Okay, Michael says, then I have to kill him. I mean, I, I, and I love the plain speak. I love the plain speak. It's just, it's incredible. And then the stoicism, he says, there is an example of the stoicism of the Don It had a highlight in in his answer to Michael when he woke up just before moving rooms in the hospital. He said, why should I be afraid now? Strange men have come to kill me ever since I was 12 years old. But um, NJSF finishes by saying it wasn't just the Don. The hard reality of the business throws us additional such displays. I think that this is a case of hard times made strong and stoic men. I appreciated this response from Clemenza to Michael when the decision to proceed with Michael meeting and killing Salazzo was being made. Here's the excerpt. And then if we let him push us around on the big, on the little things, they want to take over everything. You just got to stop them at the beginning. Like they yes. should have stopped Hitler at Munich. They should have never let him get away with that. They were just asking for trouble when they let him get away with that. Yeah, they've already psychologically profiled Salazzo and the Tatalias and what they will be uh, uh, inspired and impelled to do. 
So they figured out this is not a rational person. We're not, and we already saw that even the Don had that ability to read people and be concerned with where they might go with Luca Brasi. Because if you remember, he says when he first came to visit, the Don's nervous because this guy's such a, a, a loose cannon. He's a force of nature. And he's like, it might be, he's a useful force of nature, but I'm also, he all, I might also have to worry about him one day. Yeah. Um, and so they, they're very good at sizing up people and they've already, Michael's already sized up. Uh, so lot. So exactly. Uh, and, and I think that this last thing here, it's a little bit off, off topic, but still great. Uh, he lay, he made a note about the, the the description of older and established stars in Hollywood. I and I really love this quote too. They had also become to some extent desensitized physically and mentally. They could no longer quote unquote fall in love. They could no longer assume the role of hunted women. They had to be. They had been made too imperious by money, by fame, by their former beauty. And I think that is one of the more humanizing and interesting things about Johnny Fontaine is watching him uh, deal mentally with having been much younger, much more uh, stronger vocally, uh, much more uh, wanted by women, and now just playing the game, knowing that, you know, that he is, you know, he's made into a mark by some younger starlets who just want to say that they got the guy or they were strong enough to resist the guy the, the head games that like there's really no really um uh, authentic interest in another human being out there and it's very vulture like so i i really appreciate the way that he's able to build characters in different situations and and uh, he's a very character driven writer puzo um i i love that he establishes very calm and easily distinct voices for everybody. There's, there's, um, they're very well done. Yeah, I think it's reflections on, you know, not just the mafia and all this kind of stuff, which is fascinating, but uh, aging and death. I mean, that's kind of like a trope. Every every novel has death in some degree. Love and death is what is every novel, but. Um, you know, here we're we're sort of presented, I think, with, and I, I assume the novel's going to go in the direction of the type of a life that you choose, and in other words, your your sins will find you out; it will catch up with you. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing it with Johnny Fontaine, uh, the thing that he loves so much, uh, sex and women is now no longer a pleasure to him. It's beginning to, it it controls him and it's beginning to no longer be pleasurable. Likewise, will we see the same kind of warning in the character of Don Corleone or Michael? Is the choice of your life path that's gonna be dominated by greed or the, the, the other vices, passions, right? Will you later reflect on your life and wish that you had made better choices? Yes will you and um and i think we're going to get a lot of that going forward okay there's one last comment before we wrap this one up uh this one is from dyslexic angel says i have enjoyed the book selection this year two of them impacted me on such a visceral level i could not finish but this one i'm enjoying so much what i like uh i bet you any money brave new world was the first one uh, what I like most about reading this book is the humanity of it, the family importance and the strength and how 
One's word is their honor, the strength and power without being threatening. I am so enjoying the author's voice and writing style, and I really enjoy the introduction given by Francis Ford Coppola. To hear the backstory behind the movie was punctuated by the fact that I had a great fortune of visiting a small town in Italy, Sutri, a few years ago. I uh, witnessed many families coming together at the town center to spend an evening together, children running around, adults talking, live music being played. In a few words, drunkenly fantastic. Uh, The importance of families, town centers, gatherings coming together is how I am filtering this book, and I love it. As quoted from Anthony Puzo, the godfather of family values was the key to its success. And I will say again, as we end, and Jay, I know that you would love this book because it's going to be a behind the scenes that pulls in so much with what's going on with the unions, what what was going on with the um, the uh, the actual um, uh, La Cosa Nostra in New York, and how the the Italian Anti Defamation League was formed, and how they were a part of the creation of this um, of this this movie, its release, its casting, everything. It's a movie called. Um, it's a a book called Leave the Gun, Take the Cannolis. It is wonderful. And um, I know that everybody would really appreciate it after we finish this. And, of course, when we all go home and watch the movies on their own. All right, Jay, anything you want to end with? Uh, no. Great, great uh, breakdown. Thank you for helping me out on the Nino part. I was a little fuzzy on that. Everything else was uh, really stellar and great comments from from the uh, audience. I thought the stoicism point was really key, too. Yeah, the, the the chat room has been really wonderful on this. I I was one. I was thinking that we go from book three, do book three, book four, and we just go right to. So we're staring book five in the face. I, it should be about eighty something pages because we have to go about eighty pages a week to have this done um, by the end of the month. So let's just read right up to book five. Don't don't read book five. Just book three and four. All right. Jay Dyer, thank you so much, my friend. It's been great doing Absolutely. this with you. Thank you, Frank. Have a good night. Take care. All right, ladies and gents, I thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, let me go into the chat room real quick, make sure everybody's all right. Uh, let's see here. AQ, how are you? Jimmy Eats Movies, NJSF, Deborah Kerr. Yeah, you know, when we were looking at that movie, looking at the the cast, I said, okay, let's see who the female lead is. Deborah Kerr, is it you, Deborah? Then I saw Donna Reed there, and I said, Donna's got the reputation. So when Jay said that Donna was the one who won the award, I said, ah, looks like Donna had a train run on her that night. Oh, boy. Welcome home, Mr. Bailey. That kind of makes, you know, it's not so wholesome, you know, when you think about, think about that. Anyway. I appreciate you. What's going on, Witchy? What's going on, Kate? A great night as always. So enjoy. I will see you guys in a little bit because I'm going to be going live a little bit later from Studio B. So I appreciate you and um, good night.